In this week's In-Ear Insights, let's talk about marketing mix modeling, also known as media mix modeling, the uh, sort of the, the what is it, why does anyone care about it, and what you should be doing to, uh, to get set up for it. So Katie, where do you want to start on this very um, you know, onomatopoeic named technique? Oh, you're throwing a lot of uh, tongue twisters at me this morning. Um, you know, I want to start with what it is, because I feel like, at least for me, and, you know, maybe I'm not alone in this, maybe I am. When you said that you wanted to start doing marketing mixed modeling, I personally got a little confused because there's marketing mixed modeling, which is a machine learning technique. But then there's also the marketing mix. So let's just start by breaking down the differences between the two things. Sure. The marketing mix is pretty straightforward. That's just what marketing channels are you using? Right? So what, what strategies, tactics, and channels are you using? And a lot of the time at companies, it's kind of arbitrary. Right? It's like, oh, let's do Facebook. Oh, there's TikTok. Let's do TikTok. You know, it, it, that, that sort of thing. Um, what about billboards? You know, should we do billboards and bus wraps or direct mails? And that's the marketing mix. Marketing mix modeling is a statistical method to figure out of all these things you're doing, what's working? And what should you be spending more money on? And what should you be spending less money on? I'm trying to dust off the uh, cobwebs in my brain, but isn't the marketing mix the four P's of marketing? It's the product placement, price, and something Pro else. Promotion. Promotion. <laughs> See, you know, I did go to grad school, I promise, but it's been a while. Um, um, but, but when I hear marketing mix, that's what I think of. It, it it is known as that. Um, you know, there are the four piece, which is, I would think goes back to I want to say like the 1940s. Mm. Um, and then there's been like a gazillion and a half uh, different uh, iterations of it, like you know the seven Ps and you know four Ps and three Cs and you know who knows. Um, mm -hmm. But yes, that's that is sort of the classical definition. Okay, so. What we're talking about is not the marketing mix, but the marketing mix modeling or media mix modeling. And so I feel, and again, this might just be me because I tend to keep my head buried. I feel like I'm hearing people suddenly talk about marketing mix modeling more and more, whereas maybe a few years ago, everything was attribution. Whereas, and my understanding is attribution is more, here's what's working to get conversions, whereas marketing mix modeling factors in a heck of a lot more data, including revenue data. It's different data. So the here's okay. the easiest way to think about this. Marketing mix modeling is top down. Attribution modeling is bottom up. So hmm. attribution modeling looks at you, Katie, what did you do? What page, you know, what channels mm -hmm. did you come in on? What, you know, uh, pages did you visit? What things did you click on? And so on and so forth. And when we take you, and the thousands of other people that visit our website, and we look at what pages they have in common, what channels they have in common. We can build a model, typically with machine learning tools, uh, techniques like Markov chain modeling, that says, hey, every time somebody comes in from Facebook, they convert. Or every time somebody you know, sees a poop emoji on a Tuesday in Twitter uh, and, and clicks through to our webinar page, they convert. And statistically, you're building up from these individual experiences a, a, an attribution model saying, this is what works. The challenge with that is that you are using individual personally identifying information to do so. With the advent of the absolutely necessary new privacy restrictions from GDPR in 2018 to CCPA in, in 20, 
it's also 2018, um, to CPRA in, in this year and seven other states in the USA incorporating things. PIPL was two years ago in China. A lot of folks saying, hey, all this stuff that you're collecting at, at the individual personal level, you really shouldn't be, right? You really should not be using this without the user's informed consent. Mm -hmm. um, and so the data for attribution modeling is slowly whittling away, right? You know, you, uh, we see this in our, our clients' uh, Google Analytics traffic. We see more and more mm -hmm. direct traffic, more and more unattributed traffic, and we're like, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, marketing mix modeling is top down. So you're taking summary level data, like how many visits to the website do we get from Facebook this month? How many visits, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis? How many visits from Twitter? How many visits from TikTok and so on and so forth? Plus cost data. Like, okay. you know, if you're running Facebook ads or YouTube ads or whatever, how much did we spend? What kind of impressions? And then that goes into a different kind of machine learning model. It's basically just a regression model to say, here's our outcome, like mm -hmm. sales or marketing qualified leads, whatever. What combination of these variables leads to a mathematical relationship with this outcome? And then part of that modeling can also go, okay, well, what would it look like if we spent 5% more on LinkedIn or spent 5% less on LinkedIn? And the, these models will come up with general forecasts. But because it's using aggregated roll-up data, we're not using any PII. And that's why people are talking about this so much more now is because it's a way to do an understanding of what's working without needing that individual information. It almost kind of sounds like, and I could be misunderstanding this, but it almost sounds like you're talking about on-site versus off-site. And so on-site being the attribution, okay, here's everybody on your website, here's what they're doing, so therefore this is the action they took. So you can do more of whatever it is, which is, you know, running YouTube videos or Twitter to bring people to your site. Whereas off-site being okay, here's how many people visited the Facebook page or here's how many people visited the Twitter or interacted with it plus how much did we spend? I mean, is that an oversimplification? Is that completely right or wrong? So the top down, bottom up makes sense. But I'm also, it sounded to me like you were also saying sort of on-site and off-site. To a degree, yes. Um, in attribution modeling, typically most companies are not equipped to do hybrid modeling where they can look at, uh, you know, you can see where somebody came from, but you, can't mm -hmm. you don't necessarily have that data in there. Whereas within an, uh, a marketing mix model, you absolutely would have the number of Facebook ad clicks, you know, impressions served and stuff and all Facebook's, uh, you know, BS metrics like view through conversions, et cetera. All that mm -hmm. can be in there. The other thing that can be in a, a marketing mix model that is, does not go well in attribution modeling and requires a lot of effort is offline line so mm -hmm. you could have put up a billboard for example on i-405 and say okay you know we know based on traffic data that there were you know 270,000 impressions for these days uh, you know for that billboard that can go in the model and then you can see did that have an influence did that have an impact um so offline stuff fits easier into a marketing mix model than it does an attribution model we worked with one of our clients a few years back and it sounds like they were trying to build this kind of a model but without calling it a marketing mix model uh we were doing what was at the time called an attribution project but i recall we were asking them for things like cost data we were asking them for direct mail data which is offline we were asking them for a lot of stuff outside of what we typically need for our standard 
attribution model. So we weren't calling it a marketing mix model, though. But is that what we were trying to build with them? Partially. Um, okay. One of the, the key features of a true marketing mix model is the ability to do the recommendations to say like, hey, this channel is underperforming, but it's you know, it's still worth investing in. This channel is not, right? Um, mm -hmm. Stop doing this, start doing this, spend more money here. Uh, those recommendations, uh, which are built into a lot of marketing mix modeling software, um, is not something that we had built at that time. And I think that was just a lack of sophistication on our part. We actually have, have much better technology these days. So are there, so I know with like Google Analytics, for instance, you can do very basic out-of-the-box attribution modeling. Um, do you think Google Analytics would offer out-of-the-box marketing mix modeling? Are there other pieces of software that do that? It sounds like you would need a lot of different systems talking together into something like a CDP. Yes. So a typical marketing mix modeling project, if you look at like a, what a big consulting firm will do, typically is going to charge you a couple million bucks. And it's going to be a six-month project because, uh, it, believe it or not, the actual software part is the easiest part of the project, right? It, the hardest part is gathering all the data, um, getting data out of people in a timely fashion. Um, so going to you know the brand team saying, hey, we need the number of press releases that you sent out um, and any metrics you have for that. Going to the PR agency saying, hey, we need the number of influencers you've talked to and, and their metrics and, you know, organizations and you know and multiple agencies in any situation you're dealing with a lot of moving parts um and some people who are <clears throat> very reticent to share data because it might highlight the fact that their work is not having the impact that they think it should well i so i wholeheartedly agree that that is the hardest part especially if you want to run the model more than <clears throat> once um, you know, this is something that we've seen firsthand, especially as you get into larger organizations and the data gets more and more siloed and not collected in a consistent way. Just getting the data for one single analysis, you're right, can take six, if not more months. But then by the time you run it, it's already six months out of date because the time you started collecting it. And so this is something that you know, we're always challenging ourselves to do better, which is collect our data in a clean and consistent way. Um, but it's something that, you know, if you're looking to bring us on or look for, you know, software that's going to do this, you're not going to run it tomorrow. You're not going to set it up today and run it tomorrow. You can, but you're not going to get any results from it. And I think that that's the piece that is going to be the hardest hurdle for a lot of companies, for a lot of people, to get past is that the, the data has to exist, but the data has to exist in a way that the machine can read it and can do something with it. And that is meaningful so that you can take action with it. And those, that's a lot of variables. Especially when you start taking into account opportunity cost and soft dollars, then you mm -hmm. run into a huge bramble, right? You know, Katie, you spent seven hours on social media last week can go into the model, right? What is that? What, how much, what's your billable rate, right? Or what's your salary and things? Okay. If it's, you know, $800 an hour, it's like, okay, well, so that was $5,600 of soft dollar cost that went into the social media program as part of figuring out 
what to invest in, you have to convert time for you know employees, particularly salaried employees, into dollars so that the model knows. You know, the the model takes in two two things. It takes in um, metrics, right? So things that are numbers, and takes in in costs. Um, mm-hmm. There's no space in there for hours. Um, so you have to convert your anything that is a, an investment of time or resources into a dollar cost first, and that's where things get really hairy. I'm thinking about these larger consulting firms that do this kind of work, and I could imagine, mm. you know, also having been a project manager, you have people who are full time assigned to literally chasing around and harassing the company team members to get this information. And that is all they are doing. They are not running mm-hmm. the model. They are not doing the analysis. They are not doing the recommendations. They are literally, hey, Chris, I need that data. Okay, Chris, but don't forget, I need that data. Chris, what can I do to get that data? Okay, Chris, I put together a spreadsheet. Can you fill it out? Okay, Chris, I filled out the spreadsheet. Can you make sure it's correct? Okay, Chris, I'm going to just assume that this data is correct. So unless you say it's not, and it's just like, that is mind numbing, but it's what you need. This is why a consulting firm is going to charge a few million dollars <laughs> to do this and and drop an airdrop a team of 50 people into an right. organization, right? Because 45 of those 50 people are going to be chasing other people down, getting meetings and stuff like that. Um, that's why marketing mix models traditionally have been so expensive mm-hmm. for companies to do because it, it, to your point, if you don't want to model the six months out of date, you've got to have that 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 SWAT team go in and you know within a month or two months at most gather all of the information so that the modeling team can put it together and assemble the recommendations. So let's talk about the recommendations for a minute. So with an attribution model, we know that the recommendations are typically you know here are the channels that are working best for you. So this is where you can allocate your resources and budget. Are the recommendations from a marketing mix model worth it? What kind of recommendations does someone get? If they're very similar, they're very, very similar. Um, where you can you'll see, like, here's the channels, here's their impact on the end result. Um, here is the the ROI, which is a mm-hmm. big part. So, the cost versus the outcome. Um, and again, that gets really hairy to, to gather because you, you have to spend a lot of time with finance saying, okay, well, how much revenue did this bring in? How much revenue did this bring in? And so on and so forth. Um, and then um, you can say, okay, the, this channel has you know, a 2% ROI. This channel has a 12% ROI. If you are talking you know, billions of dollars in ad spend, that, that delta can be huge. And so the, very often the recommendations fall on the line of you should spend more money here, spend less money here. You know, fire this team, um, hire some people over here, and and you know do these things to make your marketing work better. So let's say I'm, let's say I'm a CEO. Let's say I am out of touch with what the heck is going on in my business, and I say, oh, people are talking about marketing mix modeling. That's the answer to all of our problems. If I come to you and I say, Chris, I want a marketing mix model and I want it to tell me exactly what to do and exactly how much to spend on each channel on each day, go. Is that a reasonable request? Everything except the day part. I can tell you exactly <laughs> exactly what to spend, exactly how, where to spend and stuff like that, but it's going to be in the time frame, whatever the model is. Typically, a model, uh, a model is going to be run 
uh, sort of at a quarterly level resolution. Uh, okay. Because that's that that's how long it takes to gather the information. You can run them as frequently as you have data. You know, for a company like Trust Insights, where there's three of us, um, and and we all have a pretty good idea of what each other are doing, we could probably assemble the data in under a week. Um, and and then you know, and, and there's a limited number of channels, mm-hmm. as we could build the model uh, with with you know any of the the software packages that are out there or write our own, and then come up with a list of recommendations and say, okay, we need to do more of this and less of this. Mm-hmm. Even a 30-person company, I mean, it, it, the model in some ways almost scales with headcount, right? So it's going to take you much longer for a 30-person company than a three-person company. For a company like IBM with 300,000 employees, mm-hmm. you're going to, I mean, you, you would need a strike team of like 500 people to go to the, the four corners of the earth to gather everything that IBM is doing. And so you'll see for companies like that, they will typically do scaled down marketing mix models. They'll only look at a certain subset of channels. They'll say, okay, we know these channels are the ones that <clears throat> we want to focus on anyway. Um, so let's build a, a smaller model that doesn't take into account everything. And we know it doesn't take into account everything. So theoretically, and I'm not suggesting that we do this because it sounds like a <clears throat> lot of mindless, mind-numbing work, but if we were to have the right systems in place, like time-tracking systems where we categorize all of our time, you know, in 30 minute increments or whatever it is. Plus we have all of our different digital channels, data feeding into one system, plus the time tracking system. Thankfully we're, we're not really using anything offline. So that's not a factor. But if we had all of that on a regular basis feeding into one database, could we run, like it would just take the time to build the marketing mix model. And then we, theoretically just hit the run button anytime you want to see the updated information. Right. And because it's essentially just, just a big regression machine, you can include as little or as much data as you want. So in our case, if we don't have timesheet data, it doesn't go in the model. Right. But then we, you know, we have sort of the disclaimer, Hey, we can't make a recommendation about how much spend a time, the time to spend on something because you didn't include that information. Um, That's, that's true of any model, but especially something like a marketing mix model or any regression level model. It's only as good as the data you put in it. Um, so if you want to look at just three channels, sure, you can get uh, a mix of the, the three different channels, right? If you just did Google search and LinkedIn and Twitter, you could get a model that would give you a mathematically valid answer for which of those three channels is working best. Is that what's actually working best for your business? That's a good question because there may be other things at work that are not in there. And if you don't put them in there, the, the model can't take it, uh, advantage of it. That's where stuff like process management and governance matters a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like the same is true of an attribution model. It's only as good as the data that you put in. So if you're looking at your Google Analytics data to run an attribution model, that's fine. But to your point, if more and more of it is coming up as unknown and direct, that really doesn't tell you anything, you know? And so if you don't have good UTM governance, if you don't have the system configured correctly, you may be saying to yourself, but it's just one system worth of data. It should be fine. There's still a lot that goes into it. Yep. And these systems still cannot take into account sort of second order distortions. I'll give you an example. Last week over on um, uh, the, our website, we released our, our new talk about large language models, right? Mm-hmm. And we got, Literally a thousand um, leads from it. It was a, a very large uh, number of registrations. 
if you were to put all that data into a marketing mix model, it would say, hey, um, LinkedIn and the almost timely newsletter were the primary drivers. These channels are working really well. What it will not say is that we shipped my butt over to London to do this talk, <laughs> right? Um, and that speaking is the genesis of the content that led to the newsletter, that led to the LinkedIn post, that led to the, the MQLs. So again, this is a question of what data goes into the model. Is that one speaking engagement that I did in London, was it worth it? Well, if you trace the chain of events, you would see like, yeah, I got a thousand leads out of this thing, right? But if you were to look at just the event itself, like, hey, there's this, you know, a, a column of speaking and there's a one on that day and then, you know, zeros for the rest of the, the, the week. The, the uh, marketing mix model is not going to know what to do with that computationally. It's, just, it's going to say, well, this is kind of irrelevant, um, but we can see the, the second and third order effects of it. So that's a consideration when you're doing marketing mix modeling is there will still be things that you have to understand where that data came from mm -hmm. to be able to properly assign it. So in the event that you do have the information of where that data came from, a marketing mix model could be more effective than just a straight attribution model because the attribution model in that instance is going to say, well, I know all of these you know, prospects came from Chris Penn's newsletter. So that's just, that's all it's going to tell us, but I don't need a model to tell me that. Right. And, and this is, a this is this, the ongoing battle with all things AI, mm -hmm. right? It is the machine will tell you something, but you have to understand the context. You have to have that subject matter expertise. In this case, you have to have the subject matter expertise of trust insights as a company and, and the marketing team and what it's doing. I mean, marketing team <laughs> it's just the three of us um but you can see in a larger corporation right if you started seeing these these data points you might not know which team was responsible for a particular distortion so you'd be able to say like yes whatever this was here that would cause this spike um, that makes tiktok worth doing you got then got to do some homework and say mm -hmm. okay well was that something that an employee, you know, if you say you're McDonald's, was that something that the, that the corporate marketing team put up that TikTok video? Was it an employee? Was it a customer? Um, what happened there? So you got to do some digging to say, okay, we know TikTok is working as a channel. We know that the, the media mix model says this is worthwhile. Now we got to figure out why. And is it something that's repeatable? Did we just get lucky and Kelly Clarkson you know, showed our video on her show? If you got lucky, it's going to be real hard to repeat that. Mm-hmm. <sighs> So it sounds like if you're a company considering doing marketing mix modeling, put it on your roadmap for at least a few months from now, because there's a lot of upfront work that needs to be done, such as data collection, process development, data governance, data cleaning. Ay, ay, ay. Uh, but good news. Is that something we can help with? Um, all that upfront stuff. And I feel like that's the part that people are going to skip, sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly, not realizing all of that upfront work that has to get done before they can have their shiny new analysis. It's like going in the fridge, right? You assume that you've got all the ingredients for steak dinner. You open the fridge like, huh, I haven't bought steak in weeks. Like, okay, well, now you need to go out and buy some, <laughs> some steak, right? <laughs> It sounds silly, but you could see at a, at a again at a larger organization, the CMO says, "Oh yeah, we all have that. We have that data." You know, and the VP of Dev of Marketing Ops is like, uh, "We don't have any of that data," mm -hmm. <laughs> and 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 you get these disconnects. So, 
again, one of the key things to remember is a marketing mix model is a flexible model. It can take in as little or as much data as there is with the understanding that the accuracy improves with more data, the more data you include. So you want to try and include as much as you can feasibly get your hands on. Um, and if you include more data and, you know, say the second time around than the first time around, the models are no longer apples to apples. So you can't say oh, this is what's changed from quarter to quarter because the, the data has changed. All that said, though, you still can do this with a relatively small subset of data. So mm -hmm. it, just because you hear it's a $2 million six-month project does not mean it will cost that for your company specifically. Right. If you have the information and you are willing to accept the trade-offs of like, here's what we do have, here's what we don't have. If you got that, you can run a marketing mix model probably for, you know, like fifty, a hundred thousand dollars, and maybe a you know two or three months. It, it wouldn't be the, the six million dollar project that you know a big company is going to have. That's you know within reason. I feel like it's definitely you don't know. You don't really know the scope of it until you bring someone like Trust Insights in to assess what you have, what you don't have, because you may say, oh, sure, I've set aside, you know, X dollars to run this. But we may come in and say, cool, but you haven't been collecting data for the past, you know, two years. So are you putting it together with hopes and dreams? Or we may find, wow, your data sets are pristine. You've been collecting them. We can run this much, much faster. And so... You know, I think the the takeaway is don't skip the upfront requirements part of, you know, what are the things that matter to you the most? What questions are you trying to answer by running a marketing mix model? You know, don't just jump on the marketing mix model bandwagon because everyone else is talking about it because data privacy is making attribution reporting harder. There's a lot of upfront work that goes into it. But again, that's something that Chris and I would be happy to help with. I would love to get my hands on that kind of a project and like, get in there and figure out what's going on exactly um yeah i think we, we if you want we can come over and look in your fridge and see, <laughs> see what's in there um, unsurprisingly my fridge is pretty well organized i know exactly what's in it at all times uh, unsurprisingly um <laughs> If you have done some marketing mix modeling or media mix modeling of your own and you want to share your stories about it, pop on over to our free Slack group. Go to trustinsights.ai slash analytics for marketers where you and over 3,000 other marketers are asking and answering each other's questions every single day. And we have tons of exclusive content happening there all the time. So do stop by. And wherever it is you watch or listen to the show, uh, if you want it on a different channel, go to trustinsights.ai slash TI podcast. You can find it on most other channels. And while you're there, please leave a rating or a review on the channel that you uh, consume on. It does help to share the show uh, and help, uh, help support us. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next time.